Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Dr. Tiffany Lane. Tiffany is the director and founder of Alma Teens Goodies, which is an organization based in Wilmington, North Carolina. Well, welcome, Tiffany. I'm so glad that you have joined us for our podcast series today. I appreciate being here. So to get started with the interview, would you please first share a little bit about yourself and how it is that you're connected with the foster care system? Currently, I am an associate professor in the School of Social Work. I'm at University of North Carolina in Wilmington. But initially, um, I was connected with the foster care system uh, when I attended Howard University and my concentration was in child welfare services. Um, And I had the opportunity to work at an agency in D.C. and really get an idea of the population. I would say that I became really, really connected to the foster care system when I started to work as an adjunct professor at Lincoln University. I was asked to teach a child welfare services course. And the course was amazing. We had a great time. Um, It was definitely something I was interested in. Um, But there were some assignments that would come up around family systems. um, And a lot of the students in my class identified as students who had, you know, aged out of foster care um, and was having some issues in completing the assignment because not being affiliated with their biological families. And so it really sparked my interest to kind of get a look at the experiences of um, foster care youth. So while at Lincoln University, I decided to go on and pursue a PhD. And one of the questions was, well, what is your research going to be? And by this point, I had become very um, connected to these students. Um, I would meet with them outside of, of class and just, you know, have conversations with them. I am a social worker by day. So it became very natural mm-hmm. for me to, you know, have these conversations. And I was like, I think this is something that I want to work on. Um, And so fast forward three years later, and when it was time to complete the dissertation, that was my research area. So one of the things that I noticed when I was doing research with this population was that there was this gap of information related to African-Americans, foster care youth, aging out, and education endeavors. You just can't find any information on that. And I thought that was fascinating for many reasons. And so I I wanted to study that. And so... I decided to do a qualitative study looking at the experiences of African-American youth who age out of foster care, um, particularly looking at the strengths of them, not necessarily the deficits. So looking at the fact that they were able to transition into college, but looking at factors that contributed to them getting into college and also looking at some factors uh, related to supports they would need moving forward to be successful and graduate. That really landed me into foster care youth aging out. Like I definitely am passionate about this population from a research stance, particularly because you can't find any information, particularly strength-based information um, on this population. And I think there are a lot of strengths that we should tap into from a research and professional stance. Right. Absolutely. I might want to follow up with a question about why the research is not strength-based, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) Thanks so much for sharing that background. Um, So help us understand how it is then that you transition to director and founder of Alma Teens Goodies, and what does that organization do to help support foster youth who are preparing for independence? Sure. So as a graduate, I would say Morgan State University, which has an urban strong perspective. That's where I received my PhD at. One of the, the tasks that is part of the program is that, you know, students really take their research and do something with it. 
And at this point in my career, I was very passionate about working in the School of Social Work at Westchester University and really wanted to pursue that career as an educator, but wanted to figure out a way how, you know, a way in terms of how I could still give back um, based on my outcomes. So some of the, the research findings were centered around support, social supports, in terms of how they were able to continue on. But one of the things that I don't think is interesting at this point, considering I know so much about this group now, is that the students lacked like physical supports. Like they talked about, you know, how their peers and their roommates would have family come up and bring care packages and, you know, take them out to lunch and, you know, get ready for finals. And they were a lot of them talked about not having that experience. And so I'm like, how can I get back part time, work full time? And feel like I'm supporting this group because I I don't want to be the type of person who does the research, get my degree and say, okay, I'm done. That's just not who I am. And so Alma Teen's goodies just came alive one day. Uh, Alma Teen is actually my uh, mother who is deceased. She was one of those women who would create care packages for anyone. Um, I have never really said this out and about, but my mom actually took in three um, of her sister's children when her, her sister passed away from breast cancer. And so my mom understood what it meant to take in and support people. And so it just made sense to to call it Alma Teen's Goodies because she loved putting goodie bags together. You come over and you say you're hungry, you're going to get a bag of stuff and you're going to be able to take it home and snack one on the way there. So it just seemed like organic to call it Alma Teen's Goodies. So <laughs> the, the thing for me was this became my full time uh, interest. Honestly, it is. Um, and I know I have to still teach and I love teaching. But I do see full time. This will be my full time um, passion in a couple of years, hopefully. And so what we basically do is we try our best, which and we'll talk about that, I'm sure later, to partner with colleges and social service agencies who work with this population or who can identify this population and provide them with care packages. And we're willing to do it for the entire four to five years that the youth is you know, actually at an institution or two years, because um, some of the things is that people assume that we only support foster care youth who've aged out that are in four-year institutions, but we are interested in trade schools, community colleges, anything where they're, you know, pursuing something and they may need some supports. So what we do in our goodie bags really depends on what the youth need. So we do allow the youth to decide what they want. So again, the mission is to partner with these organizations. Uh, We can provide toiletries. We provide a lot of school supplies. If needed, we are open to looking at bedding, We provide snacks in the goodie bags. It really depends on what the youth needs. So ideally what's been happening is that an agency would recommend, or I should say refer, I'm trying to figure out different wording besides refer because it seems very, you know, agency-based, but they were referring, give us the information, and then we would contact them and say, hey, we want to provide you with a basket to support you, um, and these are the things that we have. Can you just let us know what you're interested in? And we would prepare a package for them. And then we ship it out. Um, We then follow up with them that next fall and spring to see if they're interested in receiving another package. And if they are, we'll ship out another package. Okay. So where are the youth that you serve? Is it within your geographical region or will you ship out to anywhere? We ship out to anywhere. It seems like I have been successful in areas I lived. So I recently moved to North Carolina. And so I have a base in Virginia. And so a lot of the packages go to Virginia. I'm from Pennsylvania. Packages go to Pennsylvania, Maryland. We are really working to partner with agencies in North Carolina. But COVID is somewhat in the way (laughs) 
of that process. But yes, we ship anywhere. So even though our address is based in North Carolina, we ship anywhere in the United States. Okay. And how many of these partners, these organizations, these agencies and schools, I would say if you had to guess how many you work with right now, how many uh, do you do you partner with too? I, I actually thought of the term connectors. If you don't like referrals, they're connecting you to the youth. That's a good one. I might really steal that. <laughs> You're welcome to. Thank you. <laughs> so how many schools, organizations uh, are your partners? So I would say that I have about four partners. And again, most of them are based in Pennsylvania and Virginia. And I want to be very transparent right now to say that I am struggling with colleges. I've had lovely interns. I love to call them lovely interns <laughs> who have reached out to at least 15 universities and colleges. And I think we've heard back from two. And I understand that they're busy. But I think it speaks to what I found in the research, which is that a lot of universities are educated about this population. And so, But a lot of youth are at universities. And I wonder um, next, in terms of my research, how I could be a part of that process of connecting colleges and universities to this population, because I think that they come in, they tell their story to maybe a counseling center, and they counsel them and they leave, not realizing that these youth may need some resources. I'm, I'm not saying that any other profession is better than the other, but social workers somewhat get that. But you'll see that at universities and colleges, they don't necessarily hire social workers or caseworkers, people who've been in the field in the counseling centers and, and in student activities. They tend to be people who have higher education backgrounds. And I wonder, you know, in terms of their curriculum, is this even something that they discuss in the classroom, you know, as they're preparing to earn their, you know, their EDDs or master's in higher education? So I just, I just think there's some gaps. So when I had to stop beating up on myself when I would email these colleges and not get any responses to say, this is another gap. You know, and how do we help fill this gap? Yep, I absolutely agree. I will say, though, that I believe that more and more colleges are actually creating programs specifically designed to support foster youth. And I actually have a list. Um, it's not comprehensive, but it's pretty significant that I'd be happy to send to you. And it would be the contact information and the names of the colleges, community colleges, and so forth. There's an organization in Virginia that works specifically with community colleges down in Virginia to support foster youth. So I can get you that list that would be helpful. So I know that there are colleges and universities out there that have those types of programs, but they're still, like you're saying, there is a gap in a lot of the higher education institutions. And and trade schools. I don't I don't know. I don't really have a good sense of how many trade schools have that kind of support. Yeah, which would be interesting to look at. I know Johnson C. Smith, for example, um, I know they have a great program in terms of supporting the foster care youth. And I think it's a great model that other universities may want to look at. Yeah. And out in California, they have the Renaissance Scholars programs. California is probably the leader right now as oh, far as yeah. <laughs> everything dealing with youth aging out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would agree with you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. The things that you pull together to send to the young people, where do you get these? Are they donated? Do you partner with companies that donate things or, or do you just have donations given to your organization that you then use to purchase them? So initially we, we would take donations and I think we will go back to that. It's just difficult with the mailing system. <laughs> it costs more to mail the stuff than the actual items. And so I would, we had a lot of drives. I mean, when we first started this, we would have um, 
drives all over in terms. And it was interesting because a lot of schools of social work, the students would get together and have drives and then contact us and say that we're ready to drop off. More recently, we've been doing um, donations. Like, for example, I just looked at my email right now. We have $500 donated yesterday, which is a blessing. And so we've been really just receiving donations from um, donors. We do partner with Walmart, but it's really just to, you know, help the, in terms of cost. So when people donate, it'll go into our little bank. But for the most part, we just, we get donations. It's been great. Uh, we stopped our drive about a month ago. And so if you go on the website, you'll see that we don't have it up. But on our website, we would have a link where people could donate funds or if they're interested, they could uh, have a drive. But we're going to open that back up because this is a great time because of the holidays. We tend to try to help people understand how they could create drives right within their family systems. So one of the big things that I used to push is like happy hour drives, which really worked well. Thanksgiving and Christmas drives. So when your family comes over, instead of you all exchanging gifts, maybe bring something for foster care youth. So I do think we're going to do that again this year because it was really it was really great. <laughs> we got a lot of donations and funding because it's not really the items, it's the shipping that we're noticing is um, very costly. So any way we can offset that is very helpful. Yeah, I can imagine that. And uh, hey, since we're talking about it, I usually hold this till the end. But if somebody wanted to donate to help you with the shipping costs, how can they do that? Where would they go to find that information? So what they could do, and this, again, it'll be back up on the website by Monday. Uh, we have a whole page. It's So you would go to www.almateensgoodies.org and you would just click to support. And I guess I should spell that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alma Teen, which is A-L-M-A-T-I-N as in Nancy, E-G-O-O-D-I-E-S dot org. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So if anybody's listening would like to support their efforts, particularly with the shipping costs, please go to their website and click that button and give them a little help. I'm sure that it would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I am interested, you had mentioned that you partner with Walmart. Walmart has like a registry type of page. Is that what you tried? Yes, that's exactly what we have. And that will be on the website too. So if people want to do it that way, because sometimes, you know, that makes people feel comfortable. And I definitely understand that's another way that they could help and support as well. Yeah. So you actually go on, for those who aren't familiar, you go to a page for Walmart that has, you know, you can go in and actually purchase things that you have chosen that young people would like. So there's a list of these items. You go in there, you're like, oh, well, that's, you know, I can afford that. I'm going to buy that. So you click it and it gets shipped to, to you. Does it get shipped to you, Tiffany? Yes. Okay. And then you'll package it and, and send it to the correct youth. So yes. Yep. You got it. <laughs> yep. So that's another way to help out. Wonderful. When did you start your organization? Oh, wow. It started in 2012. Okay. 2012. Yes. It was so organic. And, and honestly, I think I've been doing it since I identified youth that aged out. But, you know, in terms of having a name, a website, and I think I should mention that we are considered a 501c3 because what I did was I, you know, as a social worker, we have to be unique about how we do things. And I would say back in 2006, I started an organization, it's called Phenomenal Young Ladies Incorporated, we are 501c3, where we support young women in Pennsylvania. And so I said, hey, let's put an initiative under Phenomenal Young Ladies to expand what we do. Um, and so that's how Almatine's Goodies is able to you know, collect donations and they'd be tax deductible because the initiative falls under our 501c3. 
So I just wanted to to make that um, note as well. Okay. I, I love these Pennsylvania connections because that's where I'm located. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I'm from Chester, Pennsylvania, born and raised. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm currently in Harrisburg. I've been in Hanover, Gettysburg, Harrisburg, just the whole central Pennsylvania region. That's where I've spent most of my life. Oh, wow. Yes. Awesome. I've been to Harrisburg many times. <laughs> Go Pennsylvania. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this then. How is the current COVID-19 crisis affecting the youth that you are sending? Because you connect with the youth. You're not just sending it out randomly. So there are certain youth you're connected with. How is it that the crisis is affecting your work with them? I would imagine uh, if they're in college, uh, university, community college, what have you, that they're attending from home or maybe part-time. You've had to adjust, I would imagine, accordingly. I think for me, the only thing that I've noticed, which is a big thing, is the lack of referrals. And my new word is connections. <laughs> but the lack, the lack of referrals coming through is interesting. But I think it is due to, to COVID. And so we've been trying to do a lot more outreach to say, hey, we're still taking, we post on Facebook, we're still taking um, referrals because we want to support the youth, but there have really been not a lot of referrals coming through. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I also wonder if young people who are no longer at the school location uh-huh. on a full-time basis and don't have the access to the cafeteria, don't have the access to, to the other supports there that the college would provide, are they lacking more of these physical needs since they're having to attend from home? If they have a home, that's number one. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I do I do foresee that as an issue, and I, I know it's an issue. And it's interesting that you said that because, because before I moved to North Carolina, and I don't want to mention the university, I was at another university in Virginia where that was a big issue. And some of the students, of course, contacted me because they knew you know, of my interest in working with this population. So not only youth who age out of foster care and are in college, but also homeless youth. It's really difficult uh, situation for universities because they want to support the youth, but they also have to make sure that they're, you know, they have some precautions. And so one of the things that uh, myself and some of my colleagues did was try to write to different organizations in Virginia to say, hey, where can we get housing? Can we use Airbnb? How can we support these youth? Because this is an issue. You know, everyone doesn't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'm going to pack up my stuff and go home. You know, where are the shelters at um, to support these youth? Right. So for me personally, I haven't had any issues uh, in terms of the referrals and having, you know, a place to stay. But I know it's an issue because I've had my personal, some students of mine come to say, I don't have anywhere to go after this date. And the university would kind of extend the date in terms of when they could stay with their life. But we have to cut it off after this date because the cafeteria people won't be here. The cleaning people won't be here. Um, there'll be no one on campus, so you have to leave. So pushing yeah. the universities to really think about this population, you recruited them. So in my mind, if you recruit them, you have to figure out how to support them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me ask this. You are working directly with colleges and universities, and you're seeing a lack of referrals. What about partnering with other organizations that serve that same population, but in a different way? Yeah, I think, and I think that is a great idea. And I think that's why I have reached out to the agencies. Um, and so I, I would say a month ago, I did a presentation for Craft, a roundtable. Craft is an organization in Pennsylvania that facilitates trainings for foster care agencies, child welfare agencies. And that was a great platform for me because there were probably about 40 agencies on the Zoom. 
and I was able to present the information. And I got a lot of questions afterwards and emails and did get some referrals from one agency. And because of the amount of referrals that they wanted, I decided that we would kind of do a different referral process instead of going through the website because there were quite a few students that were they would need some help with. So that is a good way. It's just making sure and to to keep that relationship because you, you'll send out a lot of emails and people say they're interested, but then you don't hear back from them. So just making sure, you know, that I keep up with them because I totally understand about being in the field. I call it the trenches. <laughs> Um, and realizing there are a lot of demands. Um, so just, you know, playing my part and make sure I follow up to say, hey, let's let's partner. Mm-hmm. I really want to get involved with independent living programs and not only to support those who want to go to college, but also be a part of the process of encouraging them to do something once they, you know, graduate from high school. Because I don't think college is for everyone, but I do think the population those who are in college, they lack resources. Right. And there are organizations that provide scholarships to foster youth to go to college that I could see marrying up with them to some degree to, you know, they, they get a scholarship and maybe they get this also additional goodie bag from Almatine's Goodies. Yeah, sure. Really good ideas. I'm glad that we've connected. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really mean that. Oh, well, you're very welcome. The list that I have that has colleges that have programs, and now that I'm thinking about it, I really should put this on our website. I also have a list of just organizations throughout the country and contact information there. And so I'm just thinking, maybe I'll just send you the whole list <laughs> and and you can go through it because I think that you'll get some ideas as far as you know partnering with some other organizations and agencies that might be able to increase the number of referrals for you. Yes, that would be great. So do you have a staff? Do you have people who work with you to, to get this accomplished? And are you looking to grow? Because I could imagine that in the ideal world, you'd have so many referrals and so many partnerships that your organization could grow to help meet the needs. Right. So no staff. I have a lovely board and I have been blessed with two interns uh, for the last I would say for the last four years, I've always had a social work intern who has been very helpful. I foresee it growing. I actually am interested in opening up some homes for this population long term. So I've been studying. It's a lot going on. (laughs) I've been studying in terms of understanding the process of group homes and really starting to get connected with child welfare organizations um, in North Carolina. But my goal is to grow but grow into different avenues to support them through the process. I really think COVID validated my vision. So my vision was always to open up Alma Teen's house, you know, particularly to support summertime stuff and Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, for people to have a place to go. But after COVID, I'm like, this is serious. Like you just never know when something's going to hit. And then you have to place students in different places because they don't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where's the funding to support this? That was something that was interesting in Virginia. It's like, well, we could do Airbnb for these students, but where's the money going to come from? And, you know, I have some of my friends like, well, I'll just donate. I'm like, but this isn't sustainable. This is a serious issue that, you know, needs some, someone to think this out and long term consider um, how we could support um, this. Vul- I call it a vulnerable population. I'm, it's, it's just vulnerable in so many ways. Oh, absolutely. Are you thinking a transitional living type of home or is it specifically for the college youth who need a place to go during breaks and and so forth? 
because of rules and regulations, it probably would be considered a transitional home, but that would be specifically the population I would be interested in supporting. I can envision partnering with a, a college or university that has an existing program to support foster youth. Absolutely. To start that way, because they already have a group of young people who would be in need, potentially. Right. Yes. And so, or maybe a, a series, like maybe within the same geographical area, you might be able to find two or three, because I'm thinking Philadelphia. I know that there are a couple of universities, I believe that Temple and the University of Pennsylvania, and then there's one other I can't think of right now, but I believe they are starting programs to support foster youth. They're in the midst of getting those uh, stood up right now. So I can, I can envision partnering with universities and having a house where young people could go. Yes. And that's something I'm interested in doing here. Um, and, I, and I will be honest and say my passion, too, is to support historically Black institutions and colleges mm-hmm. um, and figure out ways to recruit African-American youth to college as well. So, there, yeah, there are a couple things in my brain. Um, University of North Carolina, Wilmington is amazing. They have so many supports here. And so I've been really using that to kind of get an idea of grants and you know, they have entrepreneurship programs here for faculty and staff. So there are a lot of things brewing. I just got to get to them. Um, and I just think it's a great opportunity. Um, but University of Penn, they have a lot of great things going on. Sure. That's exciting. And it's it would be a huge change for your organization. But I think that in the long term with these young people in their lives, that it's a more impactful thing to do for them. I agree. Even though they they need the things, I think having that support and also they would build the relationships with the people there. And really the relationships and the supportive um, individuals in their lives is also lacking. And so if you could also provide people who could be those mentors for them, even if it's a short period of time, the relationship can continue if you stay in touch. So I, I just see that that would be a wonderful direction to go in. I totally agree. That was something in the study that they valued those social supports, particularly when they were aging out with their caseworkers and their independent living workers, and they really made an impact on their lives. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me ask you this, moving away a little bit from just talking about the organization and what you do, what do you think can be done by federal or state governments to better help foster youth during, and not only this crisis, you know, COVID-19, but also in general, uh, maybe we can start with COVID-19. Is there anything that you think that could be done? I believe that some colleges and universities were letting foster youth stay on campus so that they didn't have to, if they didn't have a home to go to, they could actually live on campus. I'm not sure where we stand, you know, as things are starting to open up, but I just was wondering, is there still something that you think that governments could do? to help these young people? I would say pay attention to them and provide funding. Um, I've met amazing people ready to do the work at the local level, right? I've met amazing people, but the issue is funding and and paying attention to uh, the supports. And I, I was just talking to my students about this the other day, because when you look at the statistics in terms of how many youth age out, you're at what, 20,000. And people may think that's a small number, but that's a large number and they need support. And so I would say provide funding, federal funds to support local and state organizations, because there are a lot of people out here ready to do the work. They just don't have the resources to do it. That's certainly true. Right now, there just seems to be a boom in 
and I mean kind of in the last year or two, not necessarily this moment, but there's just been a boom in people starting organizations to support foster youth. I think awareness is growing. Absolutely. I think that people are like yourself are saying, I'm going to do something about this. And they're starting these programs. But like you're saying, so many are dependent upon donations that it isn't really truly sustainable or it's, it's hard to sustain it. Absolutely. <laughs> So some kind of funding that could be tapped into when you're looking at foster youth, we've taken these young people in, we'll take care of them. But then when they turn 18, bye-bye, it seems to me like there should be a, at least a sense of responsibility to say, okay, I'm at least going to help them transition. I don't need to hold their hand for 10 more years, but let's at least help them transition to, to being on their own. Right. And, and, you know, it's funny because that's how I, when I do a presentation, I start off like that. And I say, hey, I'm this privileged, black, beautiful woman who had a mother who dropped her off. I like to be very graphic so students get an idea. Who dropped her off at Westchester University in 2000 in the summer. She had comforter, food, a refrigerator. She had all of these things. I said, and imagine being dropped off by a state van with someone you hardly know. Mm-hmm. And they say, okay, have a good day. And that's it. Right. That is, first of all, horrible, but it's also a lot of reality. It is. It's a reality for a lot of individuals, uh, particularly the ones that I interviewed in my study. So the reality is you just dropping someone off is not effective because once you drop them off, what happens? You know, that transitional process is so important. That four years is important. I can't think about the countless days I called my mother at night, like, I'm about to give up. I can't pass this math class or I hate biology you know, all these different conversations and that, you know, we take for granted, but we don't understand that there are people who don't have that opportunity or have access to that type of um, social support. Right, right. And so it's a, it's a mix of just trying to figure it out on your own or just making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. That, that you wouldn't have otherwise made if you had somebody supporting you. Yeah, I just don't think that's healthy. And, and so would you say in general uh, that uh, that would certainly help young people? Is there anything else that you can think of that the government could do to help support these young people? Well, I know the health care part is, that's good. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that's good because that's, uh, that's another topic. I'm not going to talk about that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, providing supports that may extend a little longer than 26, maybe to 30. I think that I think that's, that's based on the, the climate of this society. I think that's that's doable. But I think any type of support they can provide to help these youth will be great. But also, I think respecting um, and paying attention to those who are in the trenches supporting this population and uplifting um, them and empowering them to want to go out and continue to do the work is important. I wonder if there could be an effort on the government's part to identify the best practices, right? Because I know that there are a lot of great organizations doing a lot of great things. And I know that there are organizations out there like Casey that are doing research and trying to identify best practices, but I don't get a sense that there's much around really pulling those best practices together, putting out a general recommendation. You know, if you're going to have an organization that serves this population doing this thing, here are the best practices. If you're helping support them with transitional living, here are the best practices. And it's all would be based on research, of course. I just think that that would be extremely helpful to have some kind of centralized effort on that. And like I said, I know you can go out and find it, but it's kind of up to every individual or organization to say, huh, I wonder if that exists, and then go out and, and try to find it. So I'm just thinking out loud here that, that maybe there's something to that kind of effort that would be helpful. Very helpful. I agree. 
Um, access is important. If we really want to help this population, then we should have access to these supports. Best practices matter. Um, and even supporting more research on this topic, because again, there's so many gaps. Um, so we have best practices, but are we incorporating culturally um, based perspectives? Are we considering where these youth come from geographically and the impact that it may have on trauma? So I do think there, you know, research matters as well, because we have to keep building on best practices. I agree. And you had mentioned the lack of strengths-based research. I know what you're talking about because I also have looked through a lot of the research, but maybe you could, from your perspective, share what you found when looking through research and what you mean by there's no strengths-based focus out there or very little. Okay. So if you start off doing a search in Google, I start with Google all the time. Um, And then of course I go to um, databases, but if you just look up foster care youth aging out, you're going to get a lot of feedback around the detrimental outcomes, criminal activity, teen pregnancy, not finishing school. Like you just see a lot of negative things about the population. And to some regard, I understand it because some people use that as a, a tactic to get support. But from a strengths perspective, we also want to highlight some of the strengths that exist in terms of for lack of better words, youth who've made it, who've been able to successfully transition into adulthood and live in a somewhat healthy life, because I don't even know what healthy life means anymore in 2020. But, you know, they're making it. That's what I mean by strength-based research. And because we can learn from them. That's how I would start off all my interviews, because I was I was fortunate enough to go into their environment for all of my interviews. And I would say, hey, I'm not here to, you know, to make you feel bad. I'm really here to celebrate you and understand your experiences. Because I think that people can not only learn from you, but they can be empowered by some of your stories. And so, of course, they talked about some of the the negative things about the system and their experiences, maybe with some of their social workers or caseworkers. But I also wanted to highlight some of the strengths. So how did you do this? You know, how did you overcome this? I just think it's important to also highlight that and not just look at the negative things or outcomes of this population. Exactly. I mean, there are intrinsic characteristics, personality traits, and so forth that young people have that make them more resilient. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of research out there about resiliency and so forth. There needs to be research on choices made, the different choices that not only the young people, but the people in their lives have made and how that impacts the outcomes and the supports that are provided and how that impacts outcomes. But like you're saying, I think one of the things that would be wonderful is more research taking young people who have transitioned successfully, right? Like you're saying, and going out and interviewing, and I don't mean like interviewing 20, interviewing hundreds of them and find out what is it that's different about this person, either their personality, their characteristics, their choices that has helped them be successful. And then can we take that information and help apply it to the younger people who are still in foster care to help them get there successfully? Yes. Yes. And also help practitioners. I am a big advocate of storytelling because I think that that's how people connect and they understand experiences. I'm not against quantitative research at all, but I do think there's something about knowing what's behind the numbers. And I think that some practitioners um, need to come in contact with that. You know, most of the people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people in child welfare, they're usually interested in human service, social work type programs, but I don't know how prepared they are to work with this population. And I say that all the time when I teach a child welfare course, 
I've taught it at a couple of universities. And if you look in these textbooks, they may have one paragraph on youth aging out of foster care, which to me is just like, what? And not to say the whole text needs to be about it, but it's, this is a big piece of child welfare services. It really is. And so, you know, not only empowering foster care youth aging out, but also empowering these practitioners who are going to have to guide these youth and independent living workers, just really understanding their experiences. I'm always fascinated when I present to a group of social workers when they're like, we never even thought about that. You know, we never thought about they don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Yeah, it is amazing to me how many people, and again, awareness is growing, but how many people really have no idea what these young people go through. And you know what? Speaking of research, I know that it can be tough to read research papers. Yeah. <laughs> it can be tough, especially quantitative ones. You're looking through the statistics. You're like, oh my gosh, this is really hard to read. I get that. However, it is really, really important to read the research. Mm -hmm. And even if you, you scan the abstract and you jump down to the results, at least you're getting the core of the information that you would need. And I will just throw out there as a little bit of a plug, on our website, Aging Out Institute, you will find a link to resources. And if you do a search on research, there's a page that comes up and you can click all the things that you want to search for. If you click on research, we have a huge collection of links to research specific to young people aging out of foster care. Awesome. I would highly recommend that everybody read research on this population and go to my website. And that would be a good starting point, at least. It's not exhaustive, but it's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also summary, executive summaries. You'll see that you'll find a couple of executive summaries around this population. Child Welfare Gateway, they have a lot of fact sheets. That's usually what I would provide to my students just as so they can start to get an idea of what they're interested in and then they can go from there. They're really good. Yep. Good points. Good points. Well, what do you think from your experience, if you had to choose like one or two or three things that adults can do to help support foster youth, whether you're part of an organization or an educational system, what do you think would be the key strategies to help these young people transition to adulthood? I've always been an advocate for programs, providing programs to support them, specific programs, not programs we just throw them in um, or send them to, but connecting them with programs that's going to support that early on. I would be honest to say that, you know, by a certain age, the system knows that these youth are going to age out, right? They're not going to be reunified with their families. They won't be adopted. And so starting to really put them in some type of program early on. And I think I'm an advocate for wraparound programs. I know people have issues with that, but programs that are more than a year, something that's going to continue on. I think there is something great about being connected with something for more than four to six weeks. A wraparound type program would be very supportive. And also connecting them early on with options. Like I was so amazed at the amount of youth who don't, know about college until they go to a college fair and now they're 17, 18, preparing to graduate from school. So just connecting them with quality programs that really acknowledge that there are possibilities with this youth. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that people don't do that, but I do think that because of the research, people just kind of tend to say, oh, they're going to go this way. But you never know, <laughs> you know, if they're involved in something solid, that's very supportive of their endeavors. And we don't even know what their endeavors are. So just having that would be um, vital. I was speaking with a caseworker the other day because I'm writing a book chapter on, on child welfare, particularly looking at African-Americans and looking at different models. 
And I'm like, okay, well, so what are some of the techniques you use? And they're just like, oh, well, we just sit down with them and we kind of go over their goals. And okay, then what happens after that? And it's just like, well, that's kind of what we do. That's the rule. That's the policy here. So I think that that is very important to this population is providing them with programs that you know, have a, a wide range of opportunities and supports so that they can be self-sufficient in adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to consider when you're going out on your own, whether you're going to college or going out on your own, there's a lot. I mean, you have to consider transportation. You have to consider living arrangements. You have to consider employment. How are you going to get money? You have to, I mean, there's, there's a ton of things in little details, not, and not even thinking about life skills, right? You have to, you have to think about what are the things that you need to know how to do in order to be successful with all of that. So all of that needs to be considered. It's a lot. You can't just put them through a half hour or an hour, even a half day, quote unquote, training and expect them to be able to tackle all of that information and knowledge and skills and be successful. No. And that's why I think it's important to have something long term. They know when youth are going to age out. You know, most agencies you know, we understand that this is how it is. Adoption is probably not an option. Reunification is not an option. So what's next for us? How do we support them so they don't get involved in the criminal justice system? I'm not against being involved with welfare. If they need it, they need it, right? They need those services, they need them. But helping them to to be self-sufficient is important. Exactly. Well, uh, I'll throw that out there. That same resources page that we have will also take you to organizations. If you could do a search for just your state, and you would find the organizations that we have included in the database. And I'm always open to people sending suggestions for organizations to add to the database if there's something there that you know of. So um, that's something else that people could utilize is to go in there and just as, again, as a starting point, start looking for programs and what it is that they do. There's links to their websites and so forth. So I'll just throw that out there too. That's awesome. All right. Well, let me ask you this here as we're wrapping up. I like to end the interviews these days with this question. What is it that you love the most about doing what you do with your organization? Wow. I love it all. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it all. I'll be honest to say that I am a practitioner at heart. And the older I get, the more I realize I'm supposed to be out in the field. So I just love it all. I think it helps me stay connected to my passion, which is helping individuals. And now, of course, I'm very interested in supporting this population, very interested and dedicated probably for the rest of my life. But I think that the best part is being able to help someone in need and support them through the process. And then on a personal note is to stay connected to what's out there in the field. Because, you know, as an educator, sometimes we can get stuck in the books, we can get stuck in the research, but to be able to talk to Um, amazing social workers, caseworkers, people like you, like just being able to have this outlet is so important to me in my work. Um, But most important is being able to help someone in need. Um, I always say I love to see, I I love college students. So of course (laughs) I had to to merge the the two, but I love to just see people succeed and just move on and do what they want to do. And if I could be a part of that process, it just feels amazing to me. I don't have any kids of my own. This is just helpful to me too, just to kind of be a part of someone's experience growing up and, you know, trying to figure out what's next for them. It just gives me so much passion. And again, I'm looking forward to connecting directly with some youth in North Carolina too, because I think that would be helpful to me. And the university. I was just talking to my students yesterday. I teach an honors intro social work course. 
And I'm like, I know that this university has money. How can we get some youth about to age out on this campus to do a six to 10 week training and then transition them into another program? You know, just the ideas are just flowing for me. I think one of the most effective things I have heard from people to help others understand the importance and to open their wallets <laughs> a little bit is to have somebody who's experienced it, who's aged out. You know, find a student who has struggled and is succeeding and have them talk to a group of administrators, whoever it is that's making those decisions about funding. And that is incredibly effective as opposed to sending a letter or even just doing a presentation yourself. Get the young people involved. Absolutely. It's funny you said that because when I start a chapter on youth aging out, I always use a testimony. Um, I'm not going to say her name, but it's on YouTube. I recently found another one of an African-American male. Great testimony about how he aged out and he found a family that took him in. I always start off my presentations with some type of video because you want to hear from the source. I always say they're the expert. (laughs) I just collect the data and put it in a beautiful format uh, for people to understand. But we call that testimonies, you know, where they do a testimony of um, their experiences. Exactly. Now you mentioned a YouTube video. Do you have a channel? I don't have a channel. Um, that's that's interesting you said that, but no, I don't have a personal channel. Um, I have a few videos on our Facebook page and those are really more about why the organization exists, not necessarily about you know interviewing any foster youth. I, I will say this um, as a researcher, I think it's important for us to also compensate youth if we ask them to be a part of anything. And so um, if I do something like that, I also want to support them in that way as well. When I did my interviews, they were all given, you know, a stipend to support them. But if I do, I definitely want to put that plug out there. You know, we don't want to exploit people. We want to support them as well in other ways if we do decide to interview them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what is your Facebook name if people wanted to check that out? At Alma Teens Goodies. Okay. Well, Dr. Tiffany Lane, thank you so much for joining me today for this wonderful conversation. I've loved getting to know you a little bit, your organization, and having this conversation, which is so important about how do we how do we continue to improve how we serve these young people. So I really, really appreciate the time you've taken today to, to do this with me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Um, and I will make sure I tell my students to check out your website <laughs> so that they can you know, get more information. So thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. And please do. I think social work students would get a lot from not only the website, but also listening to the podcasts. I think that they would learn a lot. Good point. I'll toss that out there for anyone else who works with social work students. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And for those who have finished listening all the way to the end, I really appreciate that you have taken the time to learn about another great organization that is helping young people who are aging out of foster care and facing adulthood on their own, but hopefully not on their own with the help of individuals like Dr. Lane and so many others that are out there. So thanks so much for listening and supporting the podcast. And with that, uh, we will be posting other, another podcast soon and look for that coming out on the website. If you want to sign up to be notified about those podcasts, you can do so right on the website as well, agingoutinstitute.org. Thanks very much.